मिस्टर बांगा मिस्टर शनबगम सुनील सुशील एंड ऑल दी अदर एसेस हु आर इन दी एसएलटी ऑफ टीडी टीपीडीडीएल आई फील वेरी हैप्पी टू बी हियर एंड आई विल टेल यू जस्ट टू क्विक रीजंस व्हाई आई एम हियर हैप्पी व्हेन आई वाज ऑन द बोर्ड ऑफ टाटा पावर एंड दोज डेज we thought distribution was a bad business or that is the traditional wisdom and generation is the brahmanical business you know good engineers go to generation and corrupt engineers go to distribution and there is a proposal that you could become a, a shareholder and a distribution company came up and it was hotly debated and contested but uh, i was a part of the board which said if you don't have the courage to leave the shores you will never discover a new land and uh, we got into this uh, uh, bidding and then we got what was then called ndpl and uh, luckily we got a very fine uh, team under anil sardana uh, i heard some really <laughs> horrendous reports <laughs> in the initial days i don't know i don't know the detail of it but at the board when we heard them i said kahan ke phas gaye was a reaction but it was not founded on good uh, evidence people are as good as you lead them and very quickly it turned around and i was invited by anil sardana because i must have asked a few extra questions at the board meeting ही से इसको फंसाना है ये सवाल पूछते रहते हैं सो ही कम अलॉग एंड आई केम एंड स्पेंट होल डे विजिटिंग योर वेरियस सब स्टेश एंड ऑफिस इन एन ओल्ड टाटा एस्टेट और समथिंग यू हैड एट दैट टाइम मस्टली एंड इन अ लिटरल सेंस अनिल सरदाना मेरे पसीना निकाल दिया एंड हैविंग डन सो ही सर आई होप यू आर कन्विंस्ड that we are in the right direction actually i was not because pasina nikal diya but when you been at the in a company for a long time you get a sense ki bhai ye is jahaz theek tarah se ja raha hai ki ulte tarah se ja raha hai and since then of course uh, thanks not just to anil sardana but the many other colleagues who are sitting here and the ones who sat in your chairs before you have actually become the pride of tata group as i have seen from the presentations that you just made and uh, i take a little surrogate pride of my association though i have done nothing at all in this matter It's just like a, a teacher takes pride when his students do well in life as a former director i take great pride and i would like to start by congratulating all of you and to through you to wish all your colleagues uh, continue to be a sartaj it is still a debated point in our country whether uh, distribution can be privatized and uh, mrs dikshit uh, the late mrs dikshit was a fantastic support and then uh, we had a little rough time when an iit engineer became your chief minister <laughs> then we found that even iit engineers require education and that seems to have now settled into a more reasoned argument 
I don't know how many more cities have been distribu uh, distribution uh, privatization successful. In those days, they said Orissa was very successful, but I'm not sure Orissa was ever successful. And I don't know if there's still any other model other than this. I hope there would be more. I don't want you to be the only one. But uh, like a little candle in a dark room, I hope you will continue to show the light because this country desperately needs. Four years ago, the then um, power minister was Piyush Goel, I think, and he presented a fanciful scheme called Uday. And uh, I think the Uday was in his eyes, not in the reality. And I wrote an article in the newspaper saying this will never happen. I was still, I think, in service in Tatars. So I wrote it in a very gentle way. I don't think it has made great progress and it is still caught up in the same old problem. So power is a very important sector and I'm very proud to be associated with you and to be here. The reason you have invited me here is not only to give me the joy of seeing that you are a very, not only a proud member, but a very admirable member in the Tata group, as I could gather from your charts, because I have retired three, four years ago, so I am a bit out of touch with the latest developments. But uh, to share on the occasion of uh, this JRD birth anniversary recently, to deliver the second uh, JRD Tata Memorial Lecture, uh, which is really in his honour and on the subject of business and ethics and morality. So I should get to that subject uh, rather quickly. And I just want to tell you how I want to approach this. The good news, no PowerPoint charts. Because as your one of your TSL, what do you call it? The SLT members were saying, the moment you use PowerPoint charts, the point is lost. The power of the point is lost. Because PowerPoint charts are the greatest curse for humanity. Because we, when I listen to PowerPoint charts, I don't know whether to look at that or to look at the speaker. And whether I should read the chart or understand what he's saying. And uh, maybe my brain is getting a bit old. But even those who seem to understand have actually not understood. <laughs> that is the trouble with PowerPoint charts. And so somewhere later in my career, I said, if I cannot talk without a chart, then I have nothing to say. Those who have something substantive to say can talk without charts. Those who have nothing to say use PowerPoint charts. And it's not that I'm against PowerPoint charts, but it's being overused like many other things. And so I have started the practice of saying it is not a head-to-head -head conversation, but a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. Now, if I'm talking about ethics and morality and I want to give you a head-to-head -head presentation, you lost the plot before you started. So, I will use no PowerPoint charts. And I want to make, there are two parts to what I want to say. The first few minutes I'll talk of the introductory comments and the second part will be the substantive part. So, what do I want to say to you in the introductory part? Ethics and morality are outcomes of a personal compass. What looks ethical to me or perfectly moral to me may not look that to you. For example, if a man raises his hand, should you raise your hand back? And you can have a whole day seminar on it. 
depends on this particular circumstance. But it's very important to understand that what is strictly a personal code, a personal compass, to aggregate a number of personal compasses and to produce a corporate institutional compass for morality is quite a challenge because there's many, many variances of it. And I shall illustrate that a little later. The second point I want to make about ethics and morality, it's easy to give a speech on it. It's very tough to practice it. It is like Baba Ramdev. It's very easy to talk that uh, breathing is very good. But when you start to do all the funny things that he teaches you to do, it can be quite difficult. And most of us don't end up doing it except for the first one or two weeks. Because the real determinant of ethics and morality is not what you do in the normal course. It is what you do when you are under stress. When you are given a tough choice, that's when your morality. Do you stop at the red light when you are on your way to the airport at 6 o'clock in the morning where there is no policeman? Do you quickly look at your boss's diary when he's left the room and gone to the toilet because his page is open? And he's taking some notes about your meeting or presentation. But these are easier ones. <laughs> there are others. Uh, you made a bad decision, it's gone wrong. What do you do? Do you correct it by taking another decision? If you look at the collapse of uh, Burns, Bear Stearns uh, and Lehman Brothers in 2008, Nick Leeson made one bad deal. He didn't want to tell his bosses, so he made another deal to set the bad deal right. That also became bad and very soon he had more bad deals than good deals. And before you knew what's happening, the whole thing blew up. Our own Tata Finance, many of you were not in Tata's at that time, is a similar case. Soon after I joined Tata's, it has nothing to do with my joining by the way. <laughs> uh, we had a managing director called Dilip Pense. I don't think he was a bad human being. I mean, once the man's dead and gone, uh, there is no point analyzing these things because he committed suicide later on. Uh, I think he made one or two bad deals that ballooned out of control. So he made another few bad deals and he was caught up in the whole thing and it was a very unfortunate episode in the history of Tata's. So always remember that you should talk about ethics and morality. It's easy to talk in the calm atmosphere of this auditorium. But the real stress will come when you find that your operating loss has been a little more or a little less and you tell your CFO, Iska bhai jara kuch karo, so aage karo, piche karo. Such discussions do happen, not because your CEO or CFO is a crook, because there are grey areas in accounting, far many more than in power distribution, I can assure you. So that's the second point I want to emphasize, that it's under stress. The third thing is if I want to teach somebody something, I need knowledge and I can teach you. So if you want to have lessons on how to distribute power efficiently, if I am trained in that or I've read the books or got a degree in that, I can teach you. Anybody can teach. But education is different from teaching. Very often we use these words interchangeably. To teach you need knowledge. To educate you must be a somebody. Kuch kiya hona 
and if you've done it then you understand the nuances of it to say that uh, you are able to just not impart knowledge but a totality of the approach that you have to take that's why companies at least when i joined in hindustan ever i joined the computer department back in 1967 i mean you know 1967 people didn't know there is something called a computer i was young i was 21 and i was uh, enthusiastic but they said you first go and learn to sell dalda i was horrified i was a blue blooded brahmin like a pande from banaras i was an iit engineer a reasonably good record i was also a physics honors and i was going with a ready literally shop to shop selling dalda to uh, dealers but then that really got me the education i needed i won't go into the detail of it because that's not the subject for today and therefore it's a very good practice i think many tata companies follow it if you take youngsters to send them out into the field and make them do the day to day work so please remember there's a difference between teaching and education and you cannot teach ethics you can educate about ethics you can teach power distribution but you can't teach ethics the fourth is you're called tata power delhi distribution limited you're a company have you ever thought of where this word company comes from anybody knows company comes from the latin word cum means cum in latin cum means with you know you say you get bed cum breakfast bed and breakfast so you it's with and pani in latin means bread so literally company means with bread so what is the significance of with bread it means hum sab roti saath khayenge we are working as one team and a company is the concept came from saying when a group of people work together and take the fruits of it and have some bread together remember the emphasis on the word together then it forms a company since then the lawyers have taken over the english language has taken over and nobody in a company thinks we are all together aapas mein bhi jhagda karte hain dusron se bhi jhagda karte hain but it's a good thing on a day when you're talking about the drd tata oration to remember what is the concept, original concept of the company and where did the etymology of this word come from i once uh, we had a joint venture in my, one of my jobs earlier with uh, a moroccan company he's an and uh, in morocco as you know they speak arabic and one day he invited me for dinner at a very fancy french restaurant and when we were talking about ethics he said there is an arabic word called nia and did i know the meaning of nia so i said no i don't know arabic and he said it means what is your real objective what is your real goal aapka man mein kya hai what is in your dimag and i said ah we call it niyat in our language must have come from the same arabic source and he said i always look for the nia of a person in a presentation is it for personal glory or is he doing something which has a larger context of relevance and that word stuck with me and therefore what i want to do i want to tell you stories and i'm going to tell you i've got nine stories but i can stop any time 
This is like a cut off if you don't pay your bill. If I find people sleeping, I'll just cut it off. Because that's how you were educated in Niyat. Have you ever been? Uh, maybe you've been to some odd school lesson on moral science, but that has probably left very little impact on you. But what your father, grandmother, uncle told you, beta aisa nahi karte, is what you remember. So, I'm going to use the same approach and I'm going to tell you nine stories, many from Tatars, mostly from Tatars actually. But let me start with one, which is about happiness. All of us are working for contentment and happiness. You're not working for a salary, remember. Though most of us spend the whole day trying to earn more money, get more bonus and so on and so forth. So the year I'm referring to is 1893. And I love this story because very few people know it. I have found this story from the diary of a French woman who was a disciple of Swami Vivekananda. And I love telling this story and some of you might have read it in some of my books. But I think it's not very widely known and it deserves to be widely known. As all of you know, Swami Vivekananda was uh, originally called Narendranath Dotto. He was a uh, Bengali. And he was a brilliant person who, like many brilliant people, he died at the age of late 30s. And he had gone to Chicago for the Parliament of Religions. And here was a saffron-clad monk who was sitting cross-legged and delivering lectures on Awake India in Chicago in 1893. And there was this French lady who was his disciple in that ashram. And she was very impressed with what Swamiji was saying. And she happened to have a friend. She went to the friend and said, Bhai, isko aake ek bar sun lo. I know you're a very busy man, but Saturday, Sunday, kabhi samay nikal ke ek, ek bar isko sun lo. Said, Why would I listen to a naked Indian chap sitting there in a saffron clothes? She said, Mere liye aajau ek bar. So he went. And then she has written in her diary. That's why it's not so well known. It's available in the Vivekananda memorial volumes only. What actually happened between them? But not to go into every single detail. The transaction at some stage said, I am the richest man in America. Not Jeff Bezos, not Mukesh Ambani, John D. Rockefeller. So Swamiji asked, how many times richer than you than the average American are you? Because I know nothing about riches. He said, oh, hundred times. He said, do you think you are 100 times smarter than the average American? He said, I never thought about it, but I must be. Otherwise, why would I get 100 times the money? He said, has it ever occurred to you that you are merely a pipe, an instrument through which the money has to pass? He said, pass to whom? He said, pass back to the community. He said, I think that's the biggest load of rubbish I've heard. He said, anyway, I wanted to think about it because sometimes your instruments of some other design. John D. Rockefeller went away and then he came back after three weeks. He had written some check for $50,000 or $5 lakh or whatever. Put it on the table. He said, Swamiji, are you happy? He said, why should I be happy? Are you happy? If you are doing this to make me happy, it's a waste of time. He said, what do you want me to do? He said, no, I want you to be happy. And just think of this question that I raised with you. 
could it be that I'm not hundred times smarter, but I'm a mere pipe? It took 13 more years. I would like to believe that Swamiji had an influence on John D. Rockefeller because in 2000, uh, 1913, uh, Rockefellers gave all his money into a trust. And we all know that Rockefeller Foundation is very well known and that it has done lots of good work all over the world. And uh, I find that an interesting story. If you're doing things for other people's happiness, then you're shortchanging yourself. If you are happy with what you have done, that's the greatest benefit to you. And that's why those who are not happy with what they've done have turmoil. Unfortunately, that turmoil can result in some extreme actions on their part. So seeking happiness is your right. And in seeking happiness, I'm talking of long-lasting happiness, not temporary uh, joy. Your moral compass automatically comes into place. Nobody does wrong things like commit murder or rape, even though it may be momentarily satisfying for some instinct of his, because it can't make you happy. It's not possible. And I find stories as a very good form of writing lessons on morality and ethics because that's the only way you'll remember these facts. There's nothing new to be said about ethics and morality. It's only the way you say it that can be different and the way you absorb it that can be different. The second story I want to tell you is from uh, William Hesketh Lieber. William Hesketh Lieber was the person who founded Unilever. Back in the same time that Jamsheji Tata was thinking about steel here, he was thinking about soap. And I mentioned these two stories because I have been brought up on soap, shampoo on one side for one part of my career and motor cars and steel on the other side of my career. So when William Hesketh Lieber was a grocer in Manchester, and he was helping his father in their Kirana Dukan, literally selling soap. And that soap was being sold naked. Like Narol, uh, Narol number one in Punjab. If you go to Punjab, you'll find one. I don't know if it is still there, but it used to be there in the old days, in my younger days. Narol number one. And uh, it used to evaporate and become dry. And then it was a bit irritating. So he got this idea here. How can you prevent the moisture from getting out? Because soap has... X percent moisture and he found a waxed paper, he put it around it and he found that the act of putting wax around it keeps the moisture in. And having put the wax around it, he said, he wrote sunlight. Then he printed the wrapper, then he made cut the wrappers into the right size and in that process, sunlight soap was launched. Then other products came. And therefore, he made lots of money because he was able to go to many countries with a very simple idea which nobody else had thought of before him. Around 1885, he had made lots of money. He was now a global leader. And somebody asked him the question that now that you are a well-known personality all around the world, how do you feel? Do you feel proud of your accomplishments? And he said, listen, I just happened to get an idea and I did something, it's all worked out. 
I don't know whether I should be proud of my accomplishments because I believe I should work earnestly. So they asked him, what does work earnestly mean? He said, my attitude to work is I should work like a mason. They said, mason? He said, if you see the mason who's laying the road, he puts pavement blocks and cements it, knowing that he will never be able to use it. But for centuries after he has finished his work, other people will go on foot or on horseback or in a horse-driven cart. In those days there was no car anyway. With hope in their heart and ambition in their eyes. And it is for their ambition and hope that this fellow is putting the pavement blocks. So, there can be no person more humble than a mason. Because the mason never aspires for the fruit of the work he is doing. Who constructed a flat where you are staying? Did he ever think he will live in that flat? He was some laborer from Andhra or I don't know, Bihar. And he just collected his 200 rupees a day or 100 rupees a day or 300 rupees a day. And went and said, Tura pet bar he never thought he'd live in that flat. And this is a very, very beautiful definition of humility. When you, in Hindu philosophy, we say you should be unattached to your work. This is unattached. When you're working for your company with humility, humility defined the way I'm defining it, then you cannot be unethical, even under stress. Because your mind will always go back to saying, Ye I'm here today, Patane kal And I love that story. So I've covered happiness, I've covered humility. I want to cover a third aspect. Because these, according to me, if I had to draw a circle like the one that you drew, those bubbles which are around a circle, I would draw these to say this is the roots of ethics and morality, is empathy. Many people think empathy is a similar to sympathy. Sympathy is a PowerPoint chart. It is head-to-head -head communication. Oh, aapke pitaji mar gaye aur sorry, huh? Bhagawan aapko saath de. Ho gaya, I've gone home, he has gone home. But if the person whose pitaji has died is your own brother or I was going to say if he's your own son, but I said that's not possible for a pitaji to go and see a man who's find it his son that his father has died unless his wife has been mischievous. Uh, he says, uh, Are, this has happened to my brother-in-law and he joins wholeheartedly into the whole exercise and takes part in whatever help he can give. Empathy is when your heart is touched, when you are able to live what's happening in that man's heart, the pain in that man's heart. When Mother Teresa saw homeless people on the street, her heart was touched and she set up this Ashadan, this uh, missionaries of charity. You and I, we see poor people and sometimes we ignore them and sometimes we feel sympathy. But certainly I can talk for myself, I won't talk about you. Never had the empathy to do anything about it. But empathy I am referring to, not that everybody should become a missionaries of charity, but empathy at your workplace with your people, your customers, your uh, employees and empathy goes well beyond rationality. I'll give you two examples. Uh, 
1989, there was a fire at Jamshedpur. As you know, on the 3rd of March, there is a big procession in Jamshedpur. Every year, Mr. J.R.D. Tata would be there. As it so happened, for some reasons, in 1989, for the first time, he was required to be in Geneva, he was absent. And despite all the preparations that were made, a fire took place and some of our own officers lost their family, uh, or wife or daughter or son. Very, very painful. I wasn't there, but I'm telling you from what I've heard. Mr. J.R.D. Tata immediately dropped what he was doing, took a plane and came back to Jamshedpur. And then he visited every single one of the families who were affected to inquire what has happened and whether the company has done enough. And expressed his empathy by saying there is nothing that I can do which can restore back what there was. But money is no consideration, he told the HR chief. Do what requires to be done. The same thing was repeated in 2008 when the terrorists took hold of the Taj. And I think all of you know that story because it's much more recent. Ratan Tata went to every single person who was who had lost a relation or was injured. And the HR chief was very keen, like all HR chiefs, that their CEO should be happy, as you just demonstrated a little while ago. And so they took him to everybody and he said, Sir, is it all right? Is it, uh, so at the end he said, Sir, I hope the trip was all right. He had planned it minute by minute. <laughs> and he asked the chairman, was everything all right? He said, the question is not whether everything was all right. You've done as much as you can. But have we done enough for these families? This sense of empathy that you get under stress, by the way, this is under stress. This is not a normal thing. But on a day-to-day -day basis, there are many situations which call for empathy. And I think it's a very important determinant. Normally in ethics and morality, we think only is he asked for a bribe, should I pay him or not? That that's all that comes into ethics and morality. But I think there's a much broader packaging. It's like a piece of diamond and jewelry which you place in the gold. Otherwise, the beauty of it doesn't show up. 